Welcome back to The Craft, where we explore what we're learning about the creative process. I am Carter, a PhD candidate at the University of Kentucky and a writer. And I'm Colby. I'm a marketer, product manager, and music producer. And today I'm excited we get to talk about sort of a milestone in your journey as a PhD student and the start of your dissertation. Maybe could you start by sharing what sparked the idea of this episode and a little bit about where you're at in the process of getting your PhD? Yeah, that's a great place to start. So I'll start with the second part of this. Right now, I just finished my second and last qualifying exam. So how how a PhD works in an English department, you will gather a committee together, so four or so faculty members who are going to supervise the project, and you develop a list of a hundred and some books to read that are, you know, canonical for your period of literature, but also works that are going to inform your dissertation. And then you do an exam where they just basically ask you all about your project and your list of books and this sort of thing. And then after that, if you do well with that, you go and develop a prospectus, which is like an overview of what you hope to accomplish in the dissertation, kind of sketching things out. So it's about 20 pages. But so it's a short kind of overview of the direction, what you want to accomplish. Then you go to the second qualifying exam, which I just finished, where you defend that prospectus. So they ask you about the project, they make suggestions, you work through potential problems, and then once you pass that, you become all but dissertation. So it's called ABD. So at this point, I just have to write the dissertation, so I'll be just teaching and writing. And so the last thing before you get your PhD, you submit the dissertation, you defend it one more time, and then you hopefully graduate. So I am just after the second exam, all but dissertation now, embarking on writing this, you know, couple hundred word paper book, basically. And so this was, that's where I am. And I thought it would be a great conversation for us, not only to kind of mark this occasion, but also I got some great advice about the creative process from, from people who are really at the, at the heights of their field. I've got a lot. I've got some really smart, capable thinkers and academics and writers on my committee. And it was really neat for me to hear their advice, you know, not only about the project, but just about writing and how to go about dealing with a project that's this huge. And so that's kind of what would spark me. I thought maybe there would be some interesting content here as well. So that's where I am on this. And I can share. I don't know. Is there a follow-up here? Should I share some of the advice? How do you want to jump into things? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be a valuable one. It'll be fun to have this documented this moment for you. And two, I think there'll be a lot of really good insights into what the creative process looks like when you're doing a really big project like writing a dissertation or a book or an album or something in other fields. So yeah, maybe you could just start by just dive into whatever you think's the the best starting point from that feedback you got or the ideas. Great. So the thing that is that's been the most useful most quickly has been advice from the chair of my committee that 500 words or 3 hours worth of work for him is a good day of writing. And this was this has been this has been really helpful for me because, you know, my chair Eric, you know, he's an absolute pro. He's an incredible writer, a successful writer. And so for him to kind of give me some parameters to try out, 
has been really helpful. So the last couple of days, you know, I've been using this metric, you know, 300 word or 500 words or three hours worth of work being a good day's writing and just letting that guide me. Because before that, I think it was hard for me to know what was enough for a day because there's two things. You, you wonder if you've done enough. And then sometimes I think you even can like burn out. Like you can use every last bit of, of fuel for the day, and then it makes it really hard to start the next day after that when you feel like you've kind of been gassed. So this was a really useful way for me already to say, okay, I don't have to put the pressure of getting so much done because the, the tough thing with a dissertation, right, you're going to have you know thousands and thousands and thousands of words. You just you can't sit down and really just pour everything out in a day, in a week, in a month. Like it's going to be something that you have to be, you know, you have to be able to sustain it. And so already this has been like liberating for me. So today I was writing, working, you know, I hit, you know, I probably I probably wrote seven hundred words today, and I thought they were really good. It took me, I think, I think I worked on it about an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, I've only done an hour and a half because things flew, just kind of flowing out. I was like, Do, should I just push for the next hour and a half to make it to three hours? And then I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to stop here. I'm going to shift. I'm going to work on another project. And I'm so glad I did that. So now, you know, in the afternoon, I can see, okay, this morning I got some great writing done. I also knocked down another project that I wanted to get to. And I was able to transfer some time to that. And so it's already been helping me you know, break up the project into little pieces. And so that was another advice that I got. Break it smaller, smaller pieces. Like you just can't deal with the thing as a whole. You've got to break it down. And so setting metrics, uh, this was really helpful already. And trying to even think about different ways I can break down the project is helping me approach it early on. So yeah, maybe a response. Well, one question I have that's kind of just practical is how long are did you say how long are how long are dissertations typically? Is there a sort of range, or is it really just hit this minimum and cover your topic well? Yeah, that's a good question. There's not a particular range. It's very individual per project. I imagine this will end up being somewhere between 200 and 250 pages for this project. And is it broken into so like are there kind of chapters? Chapters, okay. Yeah, awesome. chapters. So my project will probably have an introduction chapter, a chapter on aesthetics, a chapter on Steinbeck, a chapter on Jeffers in London. See, so each of the writers will have a chapter and then a conclusion. So it should be in total six chapters, and it just depends how long those chapters come out. Interesting. I just wanted to understand a bit of the scope of the project that that you expected, so that's super helpful. I love the idea of the minimum word count, and two things come to mind just to riff off of this and then we can go to the next one. The first one is, I think we talked recently in an episode about the Stephen Pressfield book. He was saying he just sits down and it was interesting because he said he doesn't have a word count or anything. He just wants to sit down every day. But I like the, I kind of like this approach where you have two, two outs, two alternatives. It's like I either on a crappy day I have the time. Like as long as I sit at the keyboard for three hours, I'm good. Even if I did a terrible job, just to give yourself sort of that psychological like encouragement that there's going to be bad days and you have something to prevent you from sitting there and beating yourself up for eight hours mentally and then being, ah, I just didn't do anything. And then you're probably going to be even more worn out the next day. That seems really smart. And if it goes really well, you hit 500 words, then maybe just pause there, save some gas for tomorrow. Totally makes sense. 
I feel like that's similar, super similar to the Stephen Pressfield idea, but just a little more concrete, which I like. And then the second thing that came to mind is I feel like I recently read Company of One by Paul, Paul Jarvis. I don't know if I've mentioned it on here or not, but it was a really helpful book on business and start keeping things small and basic idea of the basic idea of the book was don't give into the idea that growth is always good some growth is not always good and you can have a lot of success by actually constraining growth and protecting against it in certain ways hence the name of the book company of one right so what he talked about in that book i'm pretty sure was Actually, maybe this is a third book. I think what he talked about in that book was setting lower bounds and upper bounds. So your lower bound would be, I need to hit 500 words, or no, I need to work for three hours. And your upper bound might be, and I can't work for more than five. So you set this hard rule for yourself where it's like, I have to hit three or I have to hit 500 words, but I can't write more than 1500 words and I can't work more than five hours. Just because there's this temptation to like do exactly what you said earlier, like push super hard and then you burn yourself out later. So it's about keeping the long-term in perspective. I was hesitating because that is also mentioned in a book called, I believe it's a Greg McEwen book, Effortless, where he talks about the lower and upper bounds in the story of this expedition to race to, I think the North Pole. And it was right. We've talked about that concept. Yeah, I like, think where, we like, talked about that. The yeah. team that was just pushing when it was good weather and then resting when it was bad was beat by the team who did the exact 15 miles every single day. Because even if the weather was bad or good, they just said, hey, we already did our 15. We're not going to do another 15 because it's great weather. It'll burn us out when it's bad. And I think that it's coming i'm like not doing a good job with my sources here but i know that it's this idea this thread that i'm pulling from several places and i'm like oh this is it's just worth mentioning that this is a very rich idea i think dude totally and and to to say one follow-up thing on this it's just helped me organize my day as well you know in this liminal space between qe1 the first exam and the second you know i've got the prospectus but you know i don't want to get too much work going on the dissertation because you know the prospectus could be off Right? We could make some really substantial changes after QE2. And so you know, I didn't want to have a lot of wasted work. So, so I was kind of splitting my time between substantial projects without a rooted project to kind of help orientate my morning of work. And now I've got, thankfully, a practical metric to go after with the three hours, 500 words. And I've also got a really clear big project for the morning. So after, you know, a morning of, you know, yoga, get the coffee in, you know, do some devotional reading. It's like when I turn to the the project, the rich work of the morning, I know exactly where it's going. It's going to go to the dissertation first, right? And then, then lecture planning and grading and reading and et cetera, they're going to find their place throughout the day around this big work to be done. And so it's already helped me kind of not only work on the project, but organize my work day. That makes so much sense. Whenever I have a clear, ah, this is the one thing I'm doing. Like this week, if I just get this done, I'm good. It simplifies so many other things, all the little stuff that comes up. So what's what's the next takeaway that you had from the, the meeting? Yeah, so the next one is going to be 
This is a great one about process. So this is kind of tangential. I had a professor tell me that oftentimes he talks about just going to type and not worry about writing. And so he's making a distinction here between like, if I can just start typing, you know, it doesn't have to carry much weight. It doesn't have to be final prose. It doesn't have to be, you know, clear, concise, you know, writing, working out ideas. If I can just get the act of typing going, then that can kind of transform into writing. So it was a way that he talks about almost taking the burden off of the creative process. We've talked about this a lot and not putting the pressure to like do the thing just kind of physically sit down. And I just love that distinction. I'm just going to type a little bit. I'm not going to worry about writing. And so I thought that was really memorable and could be a nice little mantra. Typing, not writing. Yeah. That actually is very similar to the Pressfield idea too, because it was like, just sit down, just do, just do, just show up. Don't do the writing. Just just literally commit to showing up and putting your hand on the keys and then let that be the jumping off point for whatever happens next. That sounds so much easier than it's so easy to just sit, be like, this is a failure if I don't make a hit song in this session today, or if I don't write the most beautiful chapter that moves someone, it's like, it's not going to happen every time. Maybe for music, it's something like, I'm just going to make some noises or I'm I'm just going to play, I'm just going to play some chords or I'm just going to, I'm just going to noodle around on the guitar a little bit with the whole mindset of you know that you're trying to write a new song but you're not going to you're not going to let you're just not going to sit down and and try to face that kind of behemoth as it comes you're just going to kind of do the thing that needs to be done to kickstart and to get you in a place that's that is effortless and and that you can find traction people don't go to the gym and say like I'm going to transform my body today <laughs> it's like I'm going to move some metal where I'm going to run sure. on the track. Oh, that's and, good. You know, the expectation is literally I'm going to put in an effort. Like that's pretty much the goal of a workout is get your heart rate up, exert energy. And then out of that over time comes some transformation. But if you focus on like a day level and say like, I'm going to transform myself today, it's like probably not going to no, be you're very not. encouraging. Yeah. But I think with art, because it is like you're trying, no one sits down and says, I'm going to just play a chord. It's like, I'm going to write a song. And then in our head, it's like, well, I want it to be a great song and I want it to get a hundred million streams. And you start tacking on these sort of goals with it. And it becomes like, I want to transform myself as an artist. And then you're sitting down with overwhelm because it's like gotten out of hand instead of just sitting down and be like, I'm going to put some sounds on the computer. I'm going to type some words into Scrivener. Dude, that's a great metaphor. I love that. I mean, it would be silly. You're right. To go to the, the, the gym and you like do a couple bicep curls and you're like, why isn't my bicep transforming right now? <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't want to be the guy, never be the guy that's flexing in the mirror. Uh, but that's who you become if you're looking just to transform in the instant. And so Again, man, we just keep hitting these rich kind of parallels between physical activities and sports and creative processes in regards to like one, we one we like clearly recognize the role of practice and the role of incremental gains. But for some reason, we just think we, we're somehow exempt from that in creative work. And I guess maybe because sometimes inspiration does strike in non-incremental ways, but Oftentimes, this is such a helpful metaphor of going back to the the strength 
conditioner. You know, the the, the guy who's or, or gal who's training for strength. A lot of those lessons are almost direct. You know, direct homologies onto the creative process. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it breaks down at some point, but I just think that's it's interesting. I like that idea of just focus on input, not output. That's great. Okay, another one. Throwing it out here. This is from the same professor who talked about typing and writing. He mentioned how in his own work, he keeps a separate document that tracks the themes as he's working. And so this was in response to me asking a question about, you know, okay, I've got my close readings, I've got my main you know, philosophical apparatus and, and texts selected, but how do I frame the whole dissertation? What do I, how do I write the introduction? And, and unanimously, all the professors were like, well, don't do that first. Wait until you've written out the, 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 the central the central part, the chapters, and then reevaluate how do I want to frame this? Because the themes are going to emerge over time. And so the professor, you know, encouraged me by an example of his own work to keep track of the themes separately. So then if you're doing that as you're writing, you're like, man, I just keep coming back to this one theme. And I just keep, I just keep hitting that. So that's probably the one that you want to use to frame the whole discussion because that's the one that's so interconnected. And so this was really helpful for me to think about for my physical writing process. But here's the exciting thing for the listeners of the craft. I think there's a principle of keeping some sense of meta discussion about your project that's not direct work on the project itself. And so having some sort of reflection that's happening of, man, I just keep using this snare or I just keep coming back to this one baseline and trying to just kind of keep track of the different like themes or in music, right? The different instruments that you keep coming back to or you think are important. Some reflective apparatus that helps you think about the project itself. What's your response to that? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes total sense. I, I like that idea. I think I immediately jumped into more of my work in product and marketing in this one, actually. But All of that. I want to hear about it. it. It's sort of like easy to have, you know, there's a lot of different documentation of projects going on. And so it's easy to have sort of overwhelm of details when you're working through projects. And so I, I was just struck with that simple idea of like, oh, make a really simple doc where you have just high level points about these sort of themes keep coming up, or these are the main projects that we have going on that I sort of have something like this that I do, but it could be improved. And it is basically that where it's like, okay, right now this quarter, there's these big things that are happening. And it's sort of helpful whenever I'm getting a little overwhelmed in the day to day to like, look at that page and say, okay, where does all this stuff I'm trying to figure out fit? Because these were our high level bullet points. And then maybe refining them based on sort of the details that I'm working through on those other pages. So it's like kind of a work or knowledge management or information systems type thing here. But it's also sure. just like, like you said, uh, having outside of the doc, I think the idea is more powerful that you just take time to reflect and then put it down on a document, but take time to reflect on what's happening at a higher level. How do these little things connect to each other? Exactly. And I think a lot of it's just tracking, you know, tracking what you're doing. I think it's easy, at least in writing, to get caught up in the passage you're working on or the paragraph you're working on and forget kind of the overarching 
the, the, the motifs, if we're thinking of like an opera or something, right? The light motifs. It's easy to forget what those are. And so I think it's really helpful just to keep track of what you're doing. So I think I think there's a lot of applications to that. Yeah, I'm sure there's there's plenty more. I like the idea of music too, you know, having a folder of ideas or, or demos or it's even just a page where you write about the themes that you keep noticing. I could totally see it in an album for like really simple, like track one, here are four themes that we're trying to engage with. Or maybe it's just one theme. Track two, here are two or three themes. It's just really simple. And then at the end, you look at the album and you're like, are there, are there themes that are popping up across it? You know, how does that influence the whole project? Do I lean into that? Right. Do I accentuate that? Or does that drive our decision on the, the cover art? I don't know. You were going to jump in on that. Yeah, I think adding even, you could have like a sort of lyrical side to that. It could be a production side of that. Or we pulled, you know, three samples that are very sort of highly recognizable. Listing those out and there could be places where you, you reuse those or warp them and make them so there's sort of a, th- a motif like in the music itself, in the compositions. That's a really great idea. I like that. Nice. So another one, I've got two more here. One was uh, from Eric to to trust my own voice. And, you know, this is a tension within scholarly writing that you have to be accountable to what has been written on a subject. So when you make a claim, this is classic English class 101. You've got a paragraph, you have a topic sentence, you make a claim, and then you have to back up your claim with evidence. And so we're totally used to as writers, academic writers, here's my claim, here's my evidence, constantly doing that. But what you don't want to do is have your own voice quelled by all the other people that are saying things. Uh, it's easy to, to think of an idea, and instead of me giving it, try to go find that similar idea somewhere else or lean on a particular philosopher or a particular thinker in a way that I'm not really pushing the ball forward. I'm almost just kind of curating a discussion and you don't want to do a literature review, right? That's that's a different genre. You're not doing a literature review. You've got an argument. You've got things to say and you want to reach to your sources in order to help that argument not replace your argument. And so this was, re- this was really, you know, just encouraging for me as a writer of like... F- you know, trust your voice. Don't feel like you always have to have like a theoretical backup or you've got to go lean on this person's work. Like you've got something to say, you know, say it and trust it. And, you know, you don't have to, you're free to make claims as the, as the, the author and as the writer and as the person who's constructing this argument. And so this was just a good response for me. So I don't know where that, I don't know what your reaction to that is, but trust your voice seems like something that can, cut across disciplines. Yeah, I wonder how we should tease this out for a minute. I wonder how it plays into different roles. Like for me, it goes back to that Annie Dillard quote about the specific work that you were put on earth to say. Meaning, you know, it's easy to look and and think, oh, no one's written about this super weird thing that I've think about. So it's not worth writing about because they haven't done it. Where she said, no, that's like, you found gold, like that's where you need to dive in and contribute to the conversation. I think there's times where it's like, I can go and research whether it's working on a marketing campaign or working on music. And it's like, I need to find, 
an example of a website that does something like this. I need to find an example of a song that sounds like this to validate the quality of this idea. But then what I'm doing is ultimately, in some sense, like I might just be looking to copy, like looking for something that I can sort of like, okay, I'm going to take my idea, then I'm going to bend it more into what they did. So then it becomes a little less original. Of course, it could also be that I discover, hey, this is not such an original idea because a hundred other people have done it. And that's important research to then learn, okay, well, how can I actually make it a little different than them? But I think it's this sort of hunger underneath it. I guess what I'm saying is there's a sort of hunger for validation of your idea perfect, to prove that it is valuable instead of having a trust that I think that this is a good idea, so I'm just going to share it. And then I'm not going to back up every single thing I say with some sort of research or some sort of other example. Because a lot of art is about breaking rules. It is about just saying something that's maybe not perfectly nuanced in every case, but means something and has an yeah. impact and yeah, and moves the conversation forward, like you said. So, Gosh, that's so good, dude. I think that it's just generally good to trust your voice more. Probably just generally good advice for writers. Yeah, and I just the word validate, that was perfect. It's 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 instead of trying to reach for validation, like you've got to like convince somebody, like trust me, trust me, please, at every at every kind of move, like having some confidence that hey, I've got an artistic aesthetic, you know, put you know, fill in the blank here. I've got taste developed. And and I can and I can make a call and, and and I can I can do something without having to say, you know, John Bellion did this in this album and that's why I'm doing it and and I can only do it if there's you know precedent for you know it's not law we don't have to have precedent that's what's kind of neat about you know, one of the neat aspects about creativity is right you're always responding to precedent but you're not always just trying to further precedent in a lot of ways so yeah that was well said but th- that one stuck at. <clears throat> That one stood out to me. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Trust your voice. It's good to hear. And the last one. Last, Yeah, last one I got here for us. This was some practical advice from one of, our, one of my professors on the committee. She told me, make sure that you go outside, look at the horizon, rest your eyes as you're working. She noted that she's like, I had to get glasses after my dissertation because I was so glued to the writing and the reading. And it was just this really nice, very human advice. I mean, in a qualifying exam, you know, you're getting tested theoretically and in scholar, you know, the scholarly merit is getting kind of pushed. But it was so refreshing for me to, to, to have someone say, yeah, yeah, you want to make sure you're taking care of yourself as you work through this and don't get hyper fixated. And this totally fits in, I think, the sustain category for us of, of don't neglect the little things that help keep you in the game for the long term but also just help keep you well. And there are really several several of these kind of fall into that sustain, taking care of yourself, self-care kind of category for creativity. Like the minimum word count is sort of the same thing. It's like, make sure you can write tomorrow too, basically. Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. In music, it's like, get, get the headphones off. Like go, don't hurt your ears. Ooh. Like after two, three, four, five, five hours, probably even around the three hour mark. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's a point where your ears will not hear the same thing as what you would hear tomorrow morning with a fresh set of ears. Cause you've got these headphones on. If you're mixing in headphones, like I do for hours, you don't have context or reference for how normal so light good. sounds, how other music sounds. It, it's, 
it also like actually your ears will start to i don't know the exact like stuff that's happening but like yours will start start to muffle the high-end frequencies if you're in a really loud space and so you're you're not going to hear things as clearly because your body's going to be like reacting to things too so it's just i think that it's like a general advice to sometimes step away and step away before you feel tired like a little bit before yeah that's good there's one more note i'll say on this cal newport talks about how in the sort of culture we have at work here in the U.S., there's a lot of, there's this sort of cycle that happens where we are used to working over capacity because of what he calls a hyperactive hive mind of back and forth email and asynchronous messaging like Slack being our to-do list and we just react all the time to this stuff, which then when we say yes to things for a long time and then we just start piling up more and more responsibilities, get up more overwhelmed but keep saying yes. And then we eventually hit this point where we're at 120% capacity. We're stressed out, feel burnt out. And we feel like a permission to be like, I need to take care of myself now because I'm at 120%. So I'm going to say no now. Now I have this, well, because I'm busy, I can say no. And he's like, what if we were allowed or like realize yeah, that it's exactly. okay yeah, yeah. to say no and to work at 70% and, and to not say no because I'm actually completely overwhelmed and swamped, but just to say no, like, because you don't have to do everything. And it's sort of the same thing with these sort of creative rules for yourself. Like, you don't have to write 1500 words today. Like, say no to that, work at 70% capacity, but just do that longer. You'll go much further than someone who's crushing it for 200% a day, but then burns out over, you know, three weeks. Dude, that's so good. And, you know, one of the things, this is, some really famous writing advice from Hemingway. He talks about always, always leaving a little, always leaving a little in the tank. And in his particular version of this was to know where he was going to pick up the next day. And I've been trying to, I've been trying to do this. So I've been writing this little, a little kind of Latin phrase. I'm trying to learn Latin right now. And so crass kio, uh, and so crass is tomorrow, and then the the verb kio or or cio is is to stir up again, or like the idea of get things moving again. And so at the end of writing, I've been these last couple of days putting this crass keo of like, this is a sentence or two of what I want to stir up again tomorrow and get moving again tomorrow. And I've never really done that before. I've always been one to, if I have, a, if I have an idea of where I'm going, I just want to put it down so I can have it there, which is a good impulse a lot of the times especially if you're working on smaller things, but you can't put it all down or you're just going to, you're going to get gassed and then getting the ball moving the next day, it's just going to be harder. So I've, I've tried to, I've tried to also kind of work that in as well. So I'm so glad you brought, brought that up. Mm, that's a really cool concept. Yeah. You're making me think this really applies more to my work than I realized like day to day. I think it's super easy to go straight from here's a project and the things that need to get done into execution mode. Because I work in a startup world where you wear yeah. hats and you do sure. the planning and the execution. And so I think it's takeaway for me in this episode is step away, look at the horizon. Don't do everything today. Leave some things for tomorrow. Maybe there's a crass keo kind of thing for like, hey, I'm going to finish this project tomorrow and I'm just going to write down a couple next steps. I like that idea a lot. 
Who is it that wrote half of a sentence and then stopped mid-sentence at the end of every writing session? Was that Hemingway? Or maybe that's just a misinterpretation of what his thing was? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, he popularized knowing where you're going to start tomorrow. And so he might have done some kind of half-sentence stuff, or that could be apocryphal. I don't know. But yeah, that, that idea is there. Dude, this was, this was a great episode. This was fun. I, this, this is lean. No, no fat on this episode, I feel like. Yeah, that's right. Uh, any final thoughts, though, on, like, note to your future self? What do you think is going to be the, the best part of this project and the worst part? And it'd be fun to, like, hear that, you know, in three to six months, whenever that kind of gets finished. Okay, so I think the hardest part is going to be, the hardest part's going to be consistency. I think I think I really I know what I need to do, and so sitting down and doing it in, in, in is going to be the most difficult part. And so I, I'm right now I'm at the you know the beginning of the project and the fires are hot and the steam's rolling out and I'm you know I'm I'm jazzed for this and so I'm going to try to you know bottle up as much of that as I can and create the parameters to keep that sustained. But I know it's not going to always be there, right? And so it's it's going to be that it's going to be the endurance of of running the race. I think will be the most difficult. So that's what I'm anticipating. That that you know that's kind of broad. But any words for yourself if you feel like you're in one of those dark nights around the writing? You just need to go back and listen to this. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Go type, or maybe not. Maybe go 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 hang out outside or go plant something in the ground <laughs> i don't know i don't know what i'll need but take what you need leave the rest yeah oh there you go once again colby's nice summation <laughs> dude this is great thanks for sharing i loved the feed i loved it i took away some good notes for my process and um and for my work so thanks for sharing and that's the craft thanks so much for listening to this episode If you like this episode, please follow the show so that you get notified about the new ones that come out. We drop a new episode every two weeks on Wednesday mornings. And also just please send the link to one friend that you think would enjoy this interview. That helps us so much. Lastly, if you have any ideas for other people we should have on the show, topics we should talk about, or even just feedback on how we can improve, you can send us an email at heycraftpodcast at gmail.com cover art was designed by elizabeth newell you can learn more about her work at elizabethnewell.work or on instagram at elizabeth is a designer thanks for listening see you in two weeks